So if you remember, beginning of chapter 8, it's uh, the feast of some, uh, and uh, what feast was it? Whoops, I'm in Acts chapter 8. Whoops, wrong. <laughs> Let me get back to John chapter 8. Sorry. Early in the morning, he came into the temple and he taught and they bring a woman caught in adultery and they don't bring the man, which is very uh, wrong because uh, you can't commit adultery by yourself. And anyway, uh, so Jesus refutes them and uh, then he goes on to say, I'm the light of the world and... Uh, they argue with him, and oh, we're, we're descendants of Abraham. And he says, no, that doesn't really help you. And uh, they continue arguing with Jesus. And uh, we come to the point where in uh, verse 48 and verse 47, Jesus says, he who is of God hears God's words. That's a good thing to be in that place, to be able to hear God's words. God speaks to us directly. I've mentioned it before. Somebody put a, a thing on uh, Facebook. Guy's sitting there saying, man, I want to hear from God. Somebody gives him a Bible. Here, read your Bible. No, no, no. I want to hear God's audible voice. <laughs> read out loud. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> Read it out loud. Try that sometime. Try reading the Bible out loud when you're reading it and see if it makes a difference at all. So verse 48, so the Jews, they're still arguing with Jesus. And then this is the most astounding thing they say. Do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and you have a demon? It's like, what? They're talking to Jesus, the Son of God, and they say, first they insult him. They're telling him, you're a Samaritan. Now, if you know anything about the, the Scriptures, this is an insult in their eyes. This is a foul insult. Not only are they saying that Jesus is a lunatic, they're saying he's a bad man because the Samaritans, in the Pharisees' opinion, had been uh, backslidden. They're away from God. They're not real believers in God. But if you remember in John chapter 4, Jesus goes to the, the well, Jacob's well, and he talks to the Samaritan woman. And what does it say? It says that the Samaritans gladly received him and they believed in him. So the Samaritans, they've got, they're one up on the Pharisees. They believe in Jesus. The Pharisees don't. This is an insult. They had been calling Jesus a Galilean, which means you're just a common man. You're just, you know, kind of like the salt of the earth and you don't really count for much. But they go and they tell him, no, no, we are we not rightly saying that you're a Samaritan? This is really funny. The, the J.B. Phillips translation, it says, how right we are. And the way it's worded, it's like, are we not right? Yeah, you better believe you're not right. <laughs> you guys are not right at all. Because what they're doing is they're self-justifying. They're saying, we have got a handle on the truth, and we are right, and you're wrong. You imagine telling Jesus to his face, you're wrong, you're a lunatic, you're like some homeless guy walking around t talking to himself, and we're not going to pay attention to you. Everything you have to say is worthless. Not only that, they say you have a demon. 
which is pretty scary because if you remember uh, in uh, chapter 5, I believe it is, the, the demoniac of the Gadarenes comes and worships Jesus. And Jesus tells him, you know, get out of the man. And they say, oh, well, what's your name? We're legion. So it's like, what's legion? There's like 12,000 demons in that guy. <clears throat> and they say, Jesus has a demon. <laughs> These guys, I just don't get it. Why they would be so... Uh, adamantly opposed to Jesus. Remember what Jesus said in verse 44 of John chapter 8. Jesus tells the Pharisees, you are of your father the devil. They've been trying to tell Jesus, well, Abraham's our father. <laughs> and Jesus tells them, no, actually, really, the devil's your father. And the reason he can say that is because they want to murder him. And that's not what Abraham would do. Abraham welcomed the strangers. Remember, the three men show up, and it's actually the Trinity, so to speak. And uh, Abraham prepares them some food and welcomes them. What do these guys want to do? They don't want to welcome Jesus. They want to kill him. The father, you have your father, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and a liar. He has no love. No love whatsoever. I cannot understand why anyone would be a Satan worshiper. That's a legitimate religion here in the United States. It blows my mind. Why would you love something that hates you? That doesn't make any sense. Anyway, be that as it may. Excuse me, I've got to take these off so I can read. <clears throat> They're telling Jesus, you are in league with the devil. It's really? Come on, guys. And why would they, why would they, you know, I don't know about you, but I don't want to have anything to do with any demon-possessed people. Set them free and pray for them and cast the demon out. But these guys are arguing with, that, with Jesus. And Jesus gently answers them. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1 says these words, A soft answer turns away wrath. So Jesus answers them. He doesn't get into a big argument with them. He simply says, I am not, or I do not, have a demon. I'm not demon-possessed. I'm not in league with the enemy of God. Let your answer, listen to what Mr. Dake's uh, commentary says about answering. Let your answer be holy, wise, gracious, Christian. Let your answer be savory. That's a good description of an answer. You want people, when you answer them, that uh, they'll, they'll get a good taste. Let your answer be wholesome, courteous, respectful. Let your answer be desirable, and listen to this, and worthy of being kept in the memory of the hearers. Worthy of being kept in the memory of the hearers. I started reading a book uh, the other day. It's called The Gentle Art of Verbal Self-Defense. In other words, uh, the other title is um, uh, Verbal Judo. If you've watched Judo, Judo is not a gentle sport. It's a pretty rough sport. But this book, The Gentle Art of Self-Defense. In other words, verbal self-defense. When you get people say stuff to you and it hurts you, and how do you respond? So Jesus gets insulted. How does he respond? He says, verse 50, 
I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. I'm not concerned, he's basically saying, with my own glory. There's somebody else whose concern it is, and he's the judge. Notice in John chapter 12, verse 26, Jesus says, If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. I forgot. Where are we? We have a demon. Jesus says, I do not have a demon, but I honor the Father, and you dishonor me. They're insulting him. So I want to look at this word here, I honor my Father, for just a moment. What this word means is to fix a value upon or to revere. So Jesus is basically telling us here, I respect and I honor the Father. I'm doing what he wants to do. And he, say, he uses this word here, but, and it, in the uh, Phillips translation, which is uh, British English, it says, on the contrary, very British-like, on the contrary. Jesus says, I do not, I'm not demon-possessed, and I honor the Father. And then he tells them, and he rebuts them. He says, you guys are dishonoring me. Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 26, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him or value you, is what it's saying. Matthew Henry's commentary says, there is no promise of honor from men. People will say all kinds of stuff about us. But, and, and, <laughs> but God will honor us, Amen. Praise God. Jesus answered. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6 says these words, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer each one. It's a good thing to know how to answer. And I pray, sometimes I pray, say, God, thank you for giving me words to speak. We're supposed to know or be able to answer people when they ask us things about the things of God. I do not seek my own glory, Jesus said. There's one who seeks it, and he's the judge. And apparently, this capital O here means that it's God the Father in heaven whose glory is utmost at this point in time. And he's going to be the one that sets everything right. Thank God. Amen. We don't have to worry about defending ourselves so much. We can answer meekly. So Jesus goes on to say, Truly, truly, I am most solemnly assure you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Jesus is repeating something he said earlier there. In John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus tells them, they, they come and they ask Jesus this uh, question, you know, we're, we're really smart guys, Jesus, and uh, we're going to follow the law of Moses. And the law of Moses says that if a guy marries a, a woman and has no kids, and his brother's supposed to marry the girl after he dies and uh, raise kids up, well, um, she had five brothers, and none of them gave her kids. And so whose wife will she be in the resurrection from the dead? And Jesus says, <laughs> you guys do not understand the scriptures. God is the God of the living, not the dead. It says, search the scriptures because they testify of me. If anyone keeps his word, accepts, observes his teachings, or lives in accordance with Jesus' message, they will never taste or see and experience death. 
And the original Greek, according to my commentator, says uh, that they will never experience death forever or everlasting death. Now, Matthew Henry says Jesus' response here to them saying that he's demon-possessed is that he promises if you keep Jesus' word, you'll never see death. Matthew Henry says this is a kind offer. Jesus is telling them, you know what, guys? I got something really good here for you. And if you'll trust what Jesus said, you'll never see death. Now, those guys are dead. They're not alive anymore today, at least physically. So the Jews said to him, now we're convinced and we know that you have a demon. They just... That just cemented it for them. <coughs> Excuse me. There's no other, the, I mean, <clears throat> as far as they're concerned, it looks to me like, okay, that's the end of the argument. You're demon-possessed. We're not going to listen to you anymore. But what does Jesus say? Anyway, well, we'll get to that in a minute. They say Abraham died and so did the prophets. Now, if, isn't this interesting? They, they, they cite Abraham and the prophets. And the reason they do is because in John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night, and he specifically tells Jesus, we know. Now, he's a member of the Sanhedrin. He's a a, a Pharisee, and he's talking about all of the guys there. We know that you are a teacher sent from God And the reason they know that is because of the signs and the wonders and the miracles that Jesus has been doing. So the reason they mention the prophets here, according to the commentaries I read, is that they're classifying Jesus as a teacher of the law, as a a prophet also. And And they say, boy, Abraham died and the prophets died. So what do you mean? What do you mean you'll never taste death? What it means is we don't have to fear death. It's not terrible for us. It's not a horror. I was talking to a, 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 another brother the other day, and he said, you know, when uh, telling people, he says, you know, you look at the times that we're going through right now, the end of the world is coming. It's going to happen. The end of time as we know it's going to happen. He says, but the thing about it is someday your world's going to end. And are you ready? Someday your world's going to end. Are you ready to meet Jesus? To be absent from the body is to be in the presence of the Lord. Those men died. The prophets died. What do you mean? How can you say if you keep his word, you'll never die, never taste death? So Jesus answers them. Or they ask him another question. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who are you? Remember that? Princess Bride, they're sword fighting, and, and the one guy looks at the guy and says, who are you? He says, because he's, he's just astounded by his skill. So these guys, they ask Jesus, who are you? Who do you make yourself out to be? John chapter 6, verse 68, pertaining to the words of Jesus um, after... Uh, uh, Jesus explains that he's the bread come down from heaven, and it says a lot of the disciples followed him no more. And Jesus turns to Peter and the disciples and says, Well, are you guys going to leave me too? What does Peter say? He says, Whom shall we go? You have the words 
of eternal life. Where else can we get something like this? John chapter 8, verse 31, we read um, a couple of weeks ago, Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. So we're to continue. Those men are dead, but Jesus has the words of eternal life. Mark chapter 12, verse 27, we already mentioned that Jesus said he's the God. God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Because in the burning bush, God spoke to Moses and said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These men are physically dead, but they're still alive. Abraham and the prophets. The Abraham died, the prophets died, but Abraham and the prophets were great men of faith. We know, Nicodemus told him, Jesus' miracles established him as a teacher sent from God. This is probably going to be one of the shortest sermons I ever preached. Because it's only 11 verses. Jesus answered. Again, Jesus answered. Gently, he had an answer. Hallelujah. Remember in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, they get chased out of, uh, I believe they were in uh, Philippi, and they get chased out of there, and uh, they go to the city of Berea, of Berea. And they gladly receive the message of the gospel. Paul and Silas are there. Paul actually gets sent there because they're going to try to kill him where he was. And uh, the Bible says that the men or the believers in Berea were more noble than all the other people that they've ever presented the gospel to because they searched the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true. If you are a student of the Bible... Every single book of the Old Testament, which was the scriptures for them in the old days before we had the New Testament, every single book in the Bible has something in the Old Testament about Jesus. Every single one. And that Jesus says, search the scriptures because they speak of me. So are you greater? Are you greater? And Jesus says, if I glorify myself or honor myself, my honor is nothing. If, those two little words, or those two little letters, if, mean so much sometimes. This verse about honoring himself, that particular word means to magnify himself. Jesus is telling us, I'm not here to build myself up in your eyes at that point in time. He says, if I do, my honor is nothing. It's empty or vainglorious. He's uh, admiring. If, if he was glorifying himself, he'd be admiring himself. It's like the, the person that goes to the mirror and looks at themselves. Oh, you're so wonderful. They're wonderful in their own eyes, but people should be more concerned how they appear to others sometimes. Can you say Amen. Chapter 5, verse 31, Jesus relies on the Father to honor him. Jesus doesn't go around boasting, hey, look at me, I'm the greatest in the world. And uh, (laughs) he does not boast. He tells the Pharisees, you say you know God. But Jesus says, you say he's our God, but you have not known him. Now Jesus 
is God in the flesh, so he knows everything. He knows what's in the hearts of men, and he tells these guys, you think you know God, but I'm telling you, you don't know God. It's a good thing to know God. It not just know about God, but to have a personal relationship with Him. That's why Jesus came to earth, so we could have a personal relationship with Him. And Jesus says, I know Him. If I were to say that I do not know God or the Father, I would be a liar like you. <laughs> one of the things that really bothers people, or one of the things, let me put it this way, all relationships are built on trust. Amen? All relationships are built on trust. When you violate that trust, it's very difficult to reestablish that trust. I had somebody tell me one time, man, if anybody ever lies to me, I'll never trust them again. So Jesus, we know that he says that the devil is the father of liars and all lies. And Jesus said, <laughs> I'm not a liar. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus always tells us the truth, never lies to us. And if he promises that we'll have eternal life, you can guarantee it. Hallelujah. Jesus is proof. I know him and I keep his word. God gave Jesus specific instructions when he came to earth. And he keeps his word. He, in other words, Jesus is saying, I'm faithful. Amen? Jesus is faithful. He's not here telling the Pharisees that I am such a big shot that you guys should be bowing down to me and uh, you should all be uh, listening to everything I say and obeying me. No, Jesus just kind of goes back and forth with them and tells them the truth. I know God, you guys don't. And the proof is, because if you love the Father, you'll love the Son also. Amen? That's a pretty good equation. Very simple, very easy. And then he tells them this amazing thing. Here he calls them, uh, he says that Abraham's their father again. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Now this totally blows their minds. They would. Abraham rejoiced. The NIV says that Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing Jesus' day. His great joy, according to, or the Phillips translation says, Abraham's great joy was that he would see my coming. Now he has seen it, and he is overjoyed. Genesis chapter 18, chapter 16, chapter 22, Exodus chapter 14, Numbers chapter 22, Judges chapter 2, chapter 6, chapter 13, Zechariah chapter 1, chapter 3, and, verse, and chapter 12. All these are instances where Jesus appeared in the flesh before his incarnation as a baby. In Acts chapter 7, this is one of the most amazing scriptures the Bible says that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father. In Acts chapter 7, they, uh, Stephen is accused of blasphemy, which is really an absurd accusation. And <clears throat> All it means is that you speak evil or you have uh, bad words about someone. 
And by the way, the Bible says there's only one sin that's not forgivable, and that's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, attributing what the Holy Spirit does to the devil or to our enemy. So Stephen, they, they put him on trial, and he, and, he, and he preaches a sermon, and instead of them saying, man, that's the best sermon I ever heard. That really explains it in the, you know, the, the whole thing. Instead, they get all outraged at him, and they take him out, and they're going to stone him, and they're going to kill him. They start throwing rocks at him, and it says these words. Stephen knelt down, and then he said, look. I wonder if any of them actually looked. He said, look. I see the Son of Man standing. And they knew what he meant by the Son of Man. That that's God, that's Daniel's Son of Man. I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. He's not sitting down, he's standing. Look, he said. Can you imagine? I hope that some of those people did look. I hope they saw it. Because when Jesus was baptized, the Bible says that the heavens opened. And the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove. And after that, it doesn't say anywhere that the heavens closed back up. And Stephen saw the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Why was Jesus standing? Because he's looking and taking notice. Hey, what's going on down there? As if he doesn't know. And he looks. Man, there's my servant, Stephen. Hallelujah. I hope you keep in mind that God looks down from heaven, that Jesus sitting at the right hand of our Father is our advocate, our defense lawyer, looking down on you and I saying, there's my child. There's, there they are. Look at them. They're doing something for me. Praise God. They're standing up for Jesus. They're standing up for righteousness. Hallelujah. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any nation. Hallelujah. We need righteousness in this nation. We need it to be reestablished. Can you say amen? Praise God. Stephen saw. I hope some of those people looked and saw it too. If you are familiar with the uh, story of Jim Elliot and the uh, missionaries that went with him to Ecuador to uh, try and win the, uh, the Alca tribe, I read the story. The uh, chief of the, uh, of the tribe that actually threw the spear and killed Jim Elliot, they said that they saw angels above the treetops as these men died. And it made an impression on them, so much so that one of them refused to go and uh, kill people anymore. They told him, that's not the way to do it. And eventually, the chief, the man that killed Jim Elliot, made friends and got saved and became a good friend of Jim Elliot's son. Because they saw something. Hallelujah. Hopefully, it won't take that. You don't have to see. When I before I got saved, I was into Eastern religion, yoga, and meditation, and all that. And I totally expected, you know, some powerful experience like Paul had on, on Saul of Tarsus had on his way to Damascus. A great light shone from heaven and knocked me to the floor, and oh, I saw Jesus. You know, nothing like that did ever happen to me. 
I, I thought, man, that's what I need. If ever that happens to me, man, I'll be a mighty man of God. <laughs> it's not the way it works all the time. Hardly anybody has that happen to them. Most people come to an understanding, I'm a sinner. I need to get saved. Jesus is the Savior, and all I did was ask him to come into my life to be the Lord of my life. And he changed me, and he's still changing me. Hallelujah. Abraham, in chapter 11, verse 10 of Hebrews, it says that Abraham waited for a city which housed foundations, whose builder and maker is God. They saw the promises afar off. Matthew Henry says that God gave Abraham two things, an ambition, an expectation that he would receive eventually the promises of God. And then God also gave him satisfaction. Whoever desires and prays for more of the knowledge of Christ, God will give it. You and I could be as close to God as you want to. Amen? How do we do that? Pray, seek Him, read His Word. Hallelujah. And then they got this hilarious <laughs> comeback to Jesus. The Jews said to Him, You're not even 50 years old, you're just a kid. <laughs> You're just a dumb kid. And you and Abraham has seen you? Or have you seen Abraham? You're not even 50 years old. Abraham lived 1,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago. How old do you really are? They, they don't, don't have a clue. Jesus said, you're not even 50 years old. As if 50 years old is old. I remember back in the 60s and 70s, all the young people that were revolting, all the, the uh, rebels, uh, the flower children were uh, revolting against society. And, and there was a saying, don't trust anyone over 30. <laughs> now all those people are in their 70s and 80s. <laughs> Who are they trusting now? <laughs> the Social Security Administration. <laughs> don't, trust anyone over, don't trust anyone over 50. Significant thing about 50 years old, if you're familiar with the, the scripture, is every 50 years they had a year of Jubilee. All debts were forgiven, all property was returned. What would that do to our economy if every 50 years all debts were wiped out? <laughs> that would be something. Can you imagine? Man, at one point in time I owed, I had two houses and I owed a bunch of credit cards. I had $425,000 in debt. It's like, man, whoa, that'd be great if I could get that forgiven, you know? <laughs> Wouldn't have to pay me all that back. Oh, man, I could save more money now. It doesn't work that way in this society, though. <laughs> I sold one house and paid off a bunch of stuff, and <clears throat> now I know a whole lot less. <laughs> Praise God. 50 years old. They had the year of Jubilee every 50 years. Hallelujah. According to a Bible commentator named Alfred, I forget his first name, 50 years was the Jewish completion of manhood. Whatever that means. Every 50 years they had the Jubilee. And so they're telling Jesus, you're not even, you're not even fully grown. You're still immature. That's why, that's why you're telling us all this stuff. That's why you're so delusional telling us that you've seen Abraham and Abraham's seen you. And they're trying to discredit Jesus. 
That's still going on today. People are always trying to discredit Jesus. Oh, Jesus was just a good teacher. No, he wasn't, because he taught that he was God. Oh, Jesus never said he was God. Well, guess what? Yes, he did. Oh, but Jesus said that the Father's greater than him, so he couldn't be equal with God, God the Father. Well, yes, he can, because it just so happens when Jesus said that, he was here in, on the earth. But the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let us make man in our image. So there was more than one person there in the beginning, or before the beginning ever became a beginning. You're just a kid trying to discredit it, Jesus. And Jesus tells him, before, I'm telling you the truth. Guys, this is really, really the solemn truth. It really, really happened. Before Abraham was, I am. And this blows their mind. <laughs> what? I am? What? <laughs> One of the commentators <clears throat> that I was reading, it says, Jesus says, I'm telling you plainly to your face. <clears throat> so kind of Jesus gets in their face. Guess what, guys? <laughs> before Abraham was, I am. And they knew exactly what he means here. Because in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, God speaking through to the burning bush to Moses, he tells them, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Go get my people out of Egypt. And they say, well, what's your name? And God tells him, my name is I am. <clears throat> and notice Jesus doesn't say, before Abraham was, I was. <clears throat> what he's saying literally is, I'm God. He's saying that I'm eternal. I have existed before creation and that he's equal with God. In chapter 5, verse 18 of John's Gospel, the Pharisees are arguing with Jesus and they tell Jesus, you're making yourself equal with God. That's, that's sinful. That's terrible. You can't do that. And they want to stone him. Verse 59. So they picked up stones. I wonder where they got the stones. Did they have a stockpile of them there at the temple? And they, they're not allowed to do that, to throw at him. But Jesus hit him. So they're not allowed to just stone somebody. They have to have a trial. These guys, are, they're out of their minds. They're, they're so outraged that Jesus would say anything like that, that they're just going to take it upon themselves. You know, frontier justice. Just take it upon themselves. Picked up stones to throw at him. Are they big stones? Little stones? Doesn't say. Where did he get them? How did they, they have them there in a stockpile? That, that's not right. And they're out of their minds with madness. And they say, Jesus is a lunatic. <laughs> but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Not because he was a coward. Just, oh, no, they're going to stone me. I'm out of here. No. <laughs> he just... It wasn't his time. And, and, he, and, and certainly, stoning was not the way he was going to pay for the sins of the whole world. Amen? Jesus, God being in the flesh, had some wisdom. Um, this is not a good thing that's going to happen right now. I'll see you guys later. And he slips out. And instead of running after him, they probably all stand there saying, well, where did he go? Now what do we do? Doesn't say... We can only speculate, but obviously Jesus escaped. Praise God. 
Thank God he did because <laughs> there was a better way that God had in mind. <laughs>